Let me add my welcome to Pastor Dillon's. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited about today, and really not just today, the next next several weeks. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, but as a part of that, what we will see here at the end of Acts 11 is that we will see some key markers of a healthy church, and we are going to spend the next three weeks looking at what are key markers, according to the New Testament, of a, a healthy church. What should the church be doing? What are the things that we are called to do based on scripture? And just to back up uh, a long way, really, uh, to kind of give you guys an idea of of some of the things that we have been doing as a church and why we've been doing them that way. So I got here in October of 2021, and Pastor Dylan followed soon after that. And one of the first things that we taught through, if you have been here that long and you might remember this, is we talked through, we taught through the book of Ephesians. And if you remember, the book of Ephesians is really strong as it relates to clear doctrine on who Jesus is, what what Jesus did, uh, the implications of the cross, the implications of the resurrections, and ultimately the implication of his grace on the life of a believer. So in essence, Ephesians lays out for us as a church some pretty clear doctrinal foundations. And then from that, you might remember, we went from Ephesians to the book of Jonah, And we talked on this guy named Jonah who seemed to want to do everything that he could do other than follow the commands that the Lord had for him. Um, And ultimately, God exuded grace on him and continued to challenge him. And ultimately, he stepped into what the Lord was um, calling him to do. So Jonah, for us, is encouraging and challenging as a believer, right? Because he's running from the Lord, as often many of us do. And the Lord gives him instruction and gets his attention and ultimately is gracious to him in, in the midst of difficulty. And then that brings us to the book of Acts, where we are now. In the book of Acts, what we see, as we've said over and over and over again, is we see the beginning and the ongoing development of the New Testament church. We see how they are operating. We see how they're sharing the gospel with, with non-believers. We see how they're discipling one another. And then that brings us to today in the book of Acts um, and then the next couple of weeks where we're going to see Acts 11 lay out some key attributes, markers of a healthy church, uh, specifically the local church. And what I am excited about is that over the next few weeks, yes, we're going to lay out those foundations. Then on the fourth week, it's going to culminate with us laying out to what with for you what we believe as the elders is important for us to understand. Yes, there are key things that we are called to do in Scripture that every church is called to do. God also uniquely equips every individual believer in every church with certain gifts, abilities. And what we're going to see in week four is how when we overlap the things that God has equipped us to do as a church with what we are called to do as a church based on Scripture, what does that look like for us going forward? So we're excited about that, excited about the days ahead. Um, and really, if you're here today and if you're a guest, it's a, really a great time for you to jump in because we see these clear things and we're also going to get to see some implications for us as a church as well. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive into the text this morning. So let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Father, we're grateful for, uh, God, we're grateful for your word. Uh, God, I couldn't help but this week as I was preparing for this morning to think about the scope of all the things that you lay out for us in scripture. God, things from 
uh, commands as individual believers, right? So to go and to make disciples, God, things uh, like commands for your church and how we are to operate. Uh, so God, I, I pray that we as a church would develop a heart that, that treasures your word. Um, God, that, that looks to your word for authority, for instruction. God, I pray this morning as we open your word and we study it together. God, as we do pray often here, I pray that you would allow myself or Austin or Keith or whoever is up here singing or teaching your word, God, that we would step out of the way and we would allow your gospel to shine forth. And God, that would be a priority for us today and in all days. God, so be with us this morning. Teach us from your word. We need your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we see pretty quickly in the text this morning, we see that uh, believers are being sent out, right? They're being, they're being sent out. The text tells us they were scattered, and they were scattered because of persecution that was coming. And we've talked about this before, but over the course of history, what do you see happen when there are the greatest advancements of the gospel? Most oftentimes, what you see is the greatest advancements of the gospel are in the face of the greatest persecution, and the persecution that was happening within Jerusalem had caused believers to go to Cyprus and to Phoenicia and to the places it lays out in the text, which if you're wondering where that is, just so, so you're aware, when you think about geography, that's, that's present-day Lebanon, and others went to present-day North Africa. And the persecution that was playing out was leading them to live out what we saw early, early, early in the book of Acts, in Acts 1.8. You guys might remember this. Some of you may have this memorized, but it is the passage where it says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? You will be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you will be sent out. And we see that happening in today's texts. And these early evangelists, what they were doing, and you'll see this in your listening, God, I put, up, I put some subpoints under um, believers are sent. You'll see this in your listening, God. They were actively engaging the lost, right? They were actively and intentionally engaging, engaging the, lost, the lost. We remember earlier in the book of Acts, right? We remember that there were Gentile uh, believers who had been engaged and had the gospel shared with them. Right, Peter preached the good news to Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. However, this seems to be the first time, just so you can kind of get a picture of this, this seems to be a first time where there was this high of a level of intentionality put on sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, right? Not just an individual, but with a group, right? They're, they're going to them. This wasn't just a one-off conversation, a one-on-one conversation. No, it was a, we are going to them. Why? With the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel. And to give you some clarity, if you read in your Bible, if you look in your Bible with me for just a second, you see the word Hellenist in there. Your Bible likely has a footnote, right, referring to the footnote, and yours may say something similar to what mine says. It says, or Greeks, or Greek-speaking non-Jews, right? It's letting you know that the people they are speaking with is different than them, right? So likely what, what was a reality is that there was some sort of cultural barrier Right, that, that they were stepping across to engage these individuals to engage the loss. This is important for us, right? In doing this, what they were communicating was an emphasis on the gospel, but also a very high level of selflessness, right? Or unselfishness. They seem to be moving past 
What we see, have seen over and over again in the book of Acts, they, had been, they seem to be moving past the hesitation that often came with sharing the gospel with non-Jews. We've seen that over and over again. They were hesitant to do that, but they seem to be moving past that. They're going. In the midst of persecution, they are going. And even today, what I want us to think about and remember, if, if we're not careful, we too can display some level of what I would call evangelistic arrogance, right? Meaning we share when we want to, right? We share with who we want to. We share with only those people we want to see come to Christ, right? Those people who are culturally different or opposite than I, those people who think differently about different ideologies or opposite than I, those people who think different politically than I, whose thoughts and actions are different than mine, who live their life different than me, those people that we spend more time opposing and, and fighting against rather than engaging and sharing the gospel with, right? Sometimes we're hesitant to share the gospel with those people. There's a quote from the commentary that's out there in the foyer for you guys to take. I would encourage you to take one if you haven't already done so that says this, many, though often well-intentioned, care more about protecting their own way of life than they do about sharing the gospel with pagans who may bring us all kinds of new challenges into the Christian community should they accept the Lord, right? So sometimes we are hesitant to share the gospel with somebody if it means we have to give something up or if it's not convenient for us, or if there's some way they might mess up our typical way of life. That's not the way that scripture lays out for us that we should operate, right? We should approach our engagement with the loss with the same type of mindset that we see these guys approaching the engagement with here, right? We're in a battle every day. You guys know that. The calling before us as believers is what? Great commission. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. How are you going to win that battle, Right? How are we as a individuals, but also we as a body, how are we going to win that battle if we don't actively engage the lost? We're not. We're not. More practically speaking, think about it this way. If baptism, right, baptism over there, is an act of obedience to proclaim the work of Christ that is done in a person's life, which is what we believe, right? It's a public portrayal of a person's salvation, how are you going to baptize someone if they have not professed faith in Christ? Right? You're not. Further, how are you going, how is somebody going to profess faith in Christ if the gospel is not communicated to them? They're not. How is the gospel going to be communicated to them if we or collectively the church withholds the gospel from them because we don't want to engage them? Right? It's not. So you step all that back, foundationally, our command to go make disciples, baptize them, teach them, begins with us being intentional to engage the lost, right? The church is God's plan A, right, for expanding his kingdom. It's not some afterthought. It's God's plan A for getting the gospel to the lost. Therefore, we as a church should be sending believers out who engage the lost. And as they go, this is another thing that's important for us to remember. As we go, as they go, as people are sent out, they are to rely on the strength of the Lord. The text tells us here that the hand of the Lord was with them and many believed and turned to the Lord. We also see in verse 20, this was particularly interesting to me. We see in verse 20 that none of the names of the individuals who were sent out in the early part of today's sermon text are mentioned. None of them are mentioned. 
You think there's some significant to that? You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time, I had a buddy of mine back at the church I served at previously that had this written on his wall. And this is what it says. It's, it's, I don't know who originally came up with it, but it's simple. It's preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Proclaiming the good news of the gospel is not about lifting up your name, right? It's not about patting yourself on the back. It's about being obedient to the commands that are in Scripture and exalting the name of Jesus as you do that. (laughs) Christianity is not about celebrityism, right? The Big C Church, you've heard us talk about this before. It's not about competition with other churches, right? These men were being faithful, It doesn't communicate that they had the largest budget in town. It doesn't communicate that they had the most catchy, seeker-sensitive vision in town. It doesn't mean that their programs were the best. They were out of this world. None of that. They were faithful, passionate about the gospel, relying on the strength of the Lord and willing to preach the gospel. The church today should be marked by sound teaching, right? I would encourage you, to, this is a plug for the Wednesday night class. I would encourage you, if you don't know what sound teaching is, come to that class. Sit under that. Listen to how you as an individual believer can open God's word. You can look at it in context and understand what it means. Right? That starts Wednesday night. Additionally, in addition to sound teaching, we see in the text that they were spirit-led. Right, Verse 24, when speaking of Barnabas, who was teaching these new believers in Antioch, what does it say? It says he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He wasn't leading and teaching on his own. Right, He was leading and teaching under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't pushing his own agenda. He wasn't pushing some personal mission. He was leading under the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit, thus being led by the Spirit. And it says, if you go on to read, it says, many were added to the Lord. Why? Because he was leading under the direction of the Spirit. The elders within the context of the local church, guys like Barnabas, and next week we're going to see Saul, are charged with being led by the Spirit. What does this mean? This is, can be complicated. What does this mean, right? How are you filled by the Spirit? A couple of things based on Scripture. We are indwelled by the Spirit, right? We are indwelled by the Spirit at the moment of conversion. But being indwelled by the Spirit and being full of the Spirit isn't necessarily comparing apples to apples. Let me read you a term or more like a definition from one of my favorite theological survey books. So this is what it says. The Holy Spirit applies the benefit of salvation to those whom he indwells. The indwelling of the Spirit is both corporate and individual. Christ's church is his temple, as are individual believers. In regeneration, the Spirit gives new life to the believer, birthing a new creation. In sanctification, God the Spirit transforms Christians into the image and likeness of Christ by developing within them the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit also imparts divine power to his church through spiritual gifts and supernatural endowment. The power is given for the furtherance of God's salvific mission of grace in the world. Finally, the indwelling of the Spirit is a guarantee or pledge of the fullness of salvation to be experienced at the final glorification of Christian believers. Foundationally, the power of the church comes from the Spirit. Right, It's not from a creative pastor. It's not from a great staff. It comes from the power of the Spirit. Every person in this room who's experienced salvation at some point, meaning that you saw clearly the darkness that was your sin and that you needed a Savior, right, and that you needed help, 
and that you needed Jesus and thus you responded at the prompting of the Spirit to believe and confess, you have been indwelled by the Spirit. But a further question, further thing out, let's go a little farther. My question for you is, are you full of the Spirit? You've been indwelled by the Spirit, but are you full of the Spirit? And based on my understanding of Scripture, you will not step into the fullness of your faith until you are glorified, right? Until you cross from this life into the next. But you can, through sanctification, seek to be filled by the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit comes from a sold-out commitment to Him and to the pursuit of holiness. You're like, holy smokes, I don't even know what to think about that. How do I even begin to process that? Let me break it down with just some simple questions that you can ask yourselves. Here's some, here's some diagnostic questions, and I love these, right? Are you, are you committed to his purposes or, or your own, right? So if you're filled with the Spirit, you would be committed to his purposes. If you're not, you'd be committed to your own, right? Are you sold out for the gospel? If you're full of the Spirit, you will be sold out for the gospel. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you will be sold out for what you want to do. Are you spending time in prayer asking for your heart to be worked on and aligned with God's purposes? Are you asking the Spirit to fill you? Here's another one. Are you rooting out sin in your own life so that there's room in your heart and your mind for the Spirit to work through you? Look, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, right? I know I'm not perfect. Many of you know I'm not perfect. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it means that we will be at least attacking the sin, And then for us as a church, we could even go further and we could ask ourselves questions. Are we committed to his purposes or our own? Something I like to ask myself and process myself is, are the decisions that we are making as a staff, are they based on our own preferences or traditions or the way things have always been done within the context of this church? Are Are they made based on that or are they made based on what is best for God's kingdom? Another question, are we sold out for the gospel? Do we actually share the gospel with believers? Do we as a church spend time asking the Lord for direction? And if we're not doing these things, it's highly likely that we are being led by man and by our preferences and not by the Spirit. Foundationally, as a church, we need to ensure that we remain Spirit-led. We shouldn't be distracted by the other things that take place In the world, we shouldn't be distracted from the power of the Spirit or the proclaimed Word of God. Those are things that we should be laser-focused on. So being led by the Spirit is something that we could spend weeks or months talking about in depth. And to be frank, we don't have time to do that. You guys would be annoyed and want to go to lunch and all the things. But think about the observations that we have made, right? As we seek to be a church that remains Spirit-led, It is, in fact, a marker of a healthy church. So we should ask ourselves those questions. Are we spending time in prayer asking for direction? Are we committed to his purposes or our own? Are we sold out for the gospel, meaning we're actively engaging the lost? Those are questions we should be able to answer with a strong and affirmative yes. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. We're getting ready to close. But I don't ever want to miss an opportunity. Yes, this series of passages, it's it's about some key markers of a healthy church, right? But I don't ever want us to miss a chance to share the hope of the gospel, right? We care about all these things as a church. We should be caring about expanding his kingdom. We should be caring about making much of the gospel. So I would say to you today, if you're here and you've never responded 
earlier, like I, I talked about, to, with belief and confession, to, maybe today is the day for you. Scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. We see that in Romans 10. Do that, right? Do that today. Don't leave here without doing that. But for, our, for us as a church, let's, let's take it a little farther. Here's some things I want to put before you. Really simple. May we be unified by the cross and chase after biblical markers of a healthy church. All right, maybe we be unified by the cross and passionately chase after biblical markers as, as a healthy church. Meaning, may we send believers, right? For some of you, that may be your world's going to get blown up and you're going to end up on the other side of the world. And for others of you, that may, maybe means you actually walk out your front door and you go talk to that neighbor that you've never talked to and actively engage them and work towards sharing the gospel with them. So may we send believers. May we make disciples. Right? Get, let somebody get in your Kool-Aid and challenge you to be in his word. Right? Keep you accountable to being in his word. Keep you accountable to kill sin. Make disciples. And may we be spirit-led. And I, my prayer for all of us is that we would join in unity and seek to do these things as a church. And as we do, here's something I don't want us to miss. May we be intentional to pray for his church, right? For all of us, all of us. I know before when I was uh, high school and even in college, before I stepped into ministry, one of the things, and this is the complete wrong mindset, one of the things that I thought about is like I would be challenged to pray for the church, and I would think, no, that's, that's the pastor's job, or that, that's the staff member's job. No, that's all of our jobs, right? May we, as a church, be intentional to pray for his church. Pray for his church here, Right? Pray for the global church, Big C Church, that we would be marked by the healthy markers of a church that we see in God's word. Why? So we can make an impact for his kingdom as ordinary believers doing life, willing to preach the gospel, to die and be forgotten. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for the many things that we see in it. God, the instruction that we have. God, all those sometimes challenging, sometimes uncomfortable. God, it's helpful for us to be able to open your word, to be challenged to live in obedience, right? To, to be willing to preach the gospel, die, be forgotten, God, and also to be encouraged by the hope of your gospel. So God, I pray today as a church, may we be marked by sending believers. May we be marked by making disciples, and may we be marked by being spirit-led. May we chase after these things. May we actively get on our knees and pray and ask you to continue to give us wisdom and direction as we chase after these things. God, and I also would be remiss to, to not pray for the person here, or maybe they're watching online, who, wherever, the person who has never responded at the prompting of the Spirit. God, I pray often and pray again today that you would do whatever it takes to open their heart and mind to what it is that you have before them. God, that you would keep them up at night, that you would make them come comfortable. You would do whatever it takes to open their eyes to the reality of the darkness that is their sin and that they would respond to the light that is Jesus Christ. We love you. Receive our worship in Christ's name. Amen.